south of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love when the stars above came out to play. And now as I wander. Hello there, all you expat wannabes. I'm Johnny Mueller, and you're listening to The Expat Files, Living in Latin America, the show that tells you just what it's like to live, work, play, and or retire down here in Latin America. It's a mix of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great, and it's all right here, so let's get started. Here's a good point an expat buddy of mine brought up to me recently. He said, Johnny, I know you fly a lot, and so do I. Do you fly business class or coach? If you think about it, business class is more expensive, maybe 500 bucks or so, more than coach in some cases, often twice as expensive as coach. But I'll tell you, it's so much more comfortable. But come on, is it really worth it? Well, my opinion is if your flight's three hours or more, yes, it's worth it if you're not tight for cash. By the way, one day I was talking to expat Eddie about this. He almost always flies first class because he's got so much dough. I said, Eddie, what's the difference between business class and first class then? Except that it's about double the price of business class. So then, what do you get for that? He laughed and said, the difference is in first class, you never have to come in contact with the poor people. (laughs) I know, Eddie, and he said that to Skewer, the stuck-up first class passengers he comes across once in a while who really do feel that way. He says, as far as comfort, business class is the same as first class, except In business class, the poor folks will walk by you to go to the bathroom. Whereas in first class, you're separated by a curtain or a wall. You've got your own bathroom. So you never have to mingle with the hoi polloi. There are no such indignities. That's what you get for the extra dough. (laughs) Now, there's a word you don't hear often, hoi polloi. I bet maybe only one out of 10 X, Y, and Zers even know what that means. Now, expat Eddie, he's a guy who knows a lot about first class. He said once he even was sitting in first class when the plane was boarding, and everyone has to go past first class, right? He said he heard two ladies in first class with lots of expensive bling remark that, thank God, they only had to see the poverty parade at the beginning of the flight. (laughs) Because, you know, once the plane lands, first class folks are always the first to disembark. So bottom line, flying first class is not about extra comfort over business class. There is no extra comfort. It's all about the bragging rights. Sort of like people who collect expensive watches. I mean, you can only wear one and you don't even need one. Clocks are everywhere and they stare at you every time you look at your cell phone. So why does anyone wear a wristwatch except for maybe it being a fashion accessory? I get it. It can be a thing, especially for women. But to wear a five dollars or $10,000 Rolex or whatever, it's nothing but bragging rights, of course. Same thing goes for two, three, and $400 tennis shoes. Or $1,000 worth of custom Timber Ridge hiking duds. Bragging rights. All about the bragging rights. So then what about a guy like me who flies an awful lot? Well, I've only flown first class once in my life, but it was a nice long flight from Chicago to Frankfurt, Germany on Lufthansa. Though I have flown business class a few times, mostly because I got a free upgrade for points or something. So then you might ask, why don't I do it more? Well, it's not that I can't afford to do it. It's just that I find that after I've paid a couple of hundred extra bucks to do it and I'm sitting there, I do the numbers and get business class buyer's remorse. I'm thinking, is the few hundred bucks extra worth the fact that you only get a couple extra inches of legroom? Somehow, I just don't feel good about the math. 
I always reflect back to my early days in high school and college when it took me a couple of weeks of stocking shelves at Kohl's or picking up dead dogs on the Chicago Street Department to earn that kind of dough. But that's just me. Call me a tightwad. Call me a cheapskate. Call me a tacaño. That's the Spanish word for skin flint. Tacaño. By the way, here in Latin America, you can make a gesture that also signifies cheapskate or tacaño. You just raise your arm and touch your elbow with your finger. If you see someone doing that to you, you're being called out silently as a cheapskate. Down here, when Latinos do it to each other, that's a pretty big insult. But gringos and expats don't seem to mind. They don't get it or take it all that seriously. Now, as far as gringos and expats getting business class or first class, buyer's remorse. I know that sort of thing doesn't bother any of my expat gringo friends who grew up with parents who had a bit of dough. Kids who were born with silver spoons in their mouths. I wasn't. Many gringos and expats who travel a lot grew up that way. However, I was one of those small cohorts of American kids who never got the Disneyland experience as a kid because my parents couldn't afford it. You know, back when I was a kid, that was a very easy way to tell if a kid's parents had dough or not. If they took their kids to Disneyland or Disney World or even on repeated trips to Disneyland or Disney World. Even back then, way before people were posting stuff on social media, where parents went or took their kids on vacation was a big determinant of neighborhood social status. Oh, I got to see Disneyland and Disney World all right as an adult. That's a hell of a letdown, you know, because the whole idea is to see the Magic Kingdom when you're still a wide-eyed kid and believe in things like the Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, and the Democratic Party. I'm not asking for sympathy here, but I never got that chance. But I digress as usual. Anyway, flying business class? Well, by all means, if it's a long-haul flight, and if you don't have a sudden attack of buyer's remorse, by all means, go for it. But here's the thing. I know lots of gringos and expats who are nature types. You know, they go hiking, camping, mountain climbing, etc. They don't mind and actually look forward to a couple of days cooking over campfires, sleeping on the ground, sweating through their clothes, then getting soaked in the pouring rain, getting bug bites and shitting in the woods. But when it comes to flying, they just have to go business or first class because sitting in coach, you know, is just way too uncomfortable. Hmm, you get that logic? I don't. Now, as for me, call me a softie, call me a wimp. I don't much like camping, hiking, mountain climbing, sleeping on the ground, or shitting in the woods. But hey, that's just me. Oh well. By the way, have you noticed that when you board your airplane and you're heading to your seat and coach, when you go through first class, you realize most of those people there are putting on the dog. I can't help but wonder, besides the fact they have money, or pretend to have money, what makes them different from me and all the other guys in the cheap seats? Well, you know, with all the flights I've taken, I've observed a few things about those characters in first class. They're more pressed and polished, real designer clothes. The ladies, especially the older ones, look like they just stepped out of the beauty parlor. There are just no scruffy, rumpled backpacker types in the crowd at all. And if they do have ripped, torn, worn, and distressed clothes, they're high-end, boutique expensive stuff from Milano and Paris. Oh, and they're all sporting high-end luggage, too. My sister's like that. She's got some designer luggage. I forgot the brand. 2000 bucks it cost her. Can't believe she shelled out for that crap, but she did. I mean, look, if you were a crook working the airport or a crooked taxi driver, who would you target? The ragtag backpacker or the lady with the $2,000 luggage? Just saying. All right, moving on. People often ask me how likely it is to get scammed once you're down here in Latin America. 
After all, especially if you're on the Gringo Tourist Trail down here, many Latinos look at us as dollar signs. That's why on this show and at my Expat Insider Seminars, we talk about how Gringos can avoid getting ripped off and scammed. So then how often does it happen and what are the likely chances that you'll be a target? Well, it is a sort of a dirty little secret that it seems every gringo and expat who moves down here to Latin America, you're going to get scammed or ripped off somewhere along the way, and it'll be a good lesson for you. <laughs> You'll feel like a fool, but hopefully you won't be scammed for too much. It happened to me when I first got down. Usually it's nickel and dime stuff. You get stung a bit, but you learn, or you hear stories about how that stuff happens to other gringos and expats, and you'll look out for it yourself. You just have to keep your eyes open and not fall for things that seem too good to be true. That's the key. If they're too good to be true, well, you know they're not. Now, if you think you're above all that and you're way too smart for anything like that to happen, ask any gringo down here. Ask the smartest gringo you know. Ask him how he's been ripped off. He'll tell you a story or maybe two or three. Sometimes when you hear those stories, you think, what an idiot. I'd never fall for that, but maybe you would. And you know, gringos, no matter how smart we think we are, often fall for stupid pyramid schemes that we should have seen coming a mile away. It's all about the presentation, though, and crooks are getting more sophisticated all the time. In fact, I've got a little stack of emails and articles here that highlight that very thing. Here's one from Lenny. He says, Johnny, my father, who's in his late 60s, got a call about a great, even spectacular deal to stay in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. The caller said in perfect English, that for just 35,000 pesos, that's about 1,800 bucks U.S., he could have a two-bedroom suite at a Sheraton Hotel and all-inclusive for up to four people. After about 10 minutes of bantering back and forth on the phone line, he was given a bank account number to transfer the money and told he would receive an email with the bank info and then an email with the confirmations. Well, as promised, within a couple of minutes, he got the first email from the bank with signatures and the bank's logo. Now, my father wasn't stupid enough to send the whole amount. That would have raised a red flag. They only wanted a $500 deposit. The remainder to be wired to the bank before he arrived or paid with cash or credit card at the hotel upon arrival. Anyway, Johnny, as mentioned, he got the first email from the bank, totally legit looking, and he sent the 500 bucks. A few minutes later, he got the second confirmation from the hotel. Official logo, itinerary, confirmation number, and everything. My dad printed out those emails, and a few weeks later, flew to Cabo, arrived at the hotel with three of his buddies, found out they had no record of the reservation. They had no idea who he spoke to or any kind of correspondence about it with the bank. He ended up spending the night in an airport hotel because there were no rooms available at that particular hotel, nor any he could afford at the time. When he got back home, all pissed off and disgruntled, we took some time to contact the bank. They said the account was closed and that he had no idea what we were talking about, even though we sent copies of the transfer and the account number and all the correspondence. It was, in fact, a real legit Mexican bank. After being placed on hold numerous times, the bank representative said the account never existed. But that could not have been true since my dad transferred the money and it was deducted from his account. It landed there all right. The bank's customer service people said they would look into it, but that's the last we ever heard. It's been four months since we last spoke with anyone from the bank. Then he says, I'm wondering, Johnny, how many senior citizens fall for that one? And how many just suck it up out of embarrassment and never report it? They seem to be the most vulnerable to this sort of thing. Signed, Lenny. Well, Lenny, thanks for that, but I don't think it matters how old you are. 
it's the fact that they like to target senior citizens because they know they have the dough on hand. They have savings. Plus, time on their hands to listen to the spiel and banter back and forth on the phone. Notice that one of the ways they hook you in is not to ask for the whole amount, but just a deposit. Personally, Lenny, I'd say your dad got off easy. 500 bucks. Come on. How many of us can say we've never been ripped off or scammed here and there for 500 bucks? Sure, it stings a little, but 500 bucks won't make or break you. You'll learn a lesson, though. On the other hand, if you get nicked for five or ten grand, now we're talking major pain. And it seems most gringos and expats I know who've been nicked for big money, it's been almost exclusively a real estate scam. Number two on that gringo expat scam list is a business partner scam. When you hook up with a Latino business partner, often gringos who do that will make a 50-50 deal where you put up the money or the lion's share of the money. And he, the so-called expertise and the legwork and the legal stuff, you know. And somewhere along the way, he gains big and you lose. Even I'm not immune to getting scammed like that. I've had two business partners who scammed me for dough, and they weren't even Latinos. One was half Canadian, half Belgian, and one was a pure Canadian guy. Imagine that. But man, I'll tell you, stories abound regarding gringos and expats who've been scammed by local Latino business partners. Everybody's got a story, man. But these days, it appears number one on the gringo and expat scam list. As mentioned, real estate scams. In fact, I'd like to read you an excerpt of an article that just came out highlighting just how bad the problem is, especially in Mexico, where real estate scam artists have joined forces with the cartels developing sophisticated scams specifically targeting gringos and expats, most of whom are targeted while they're still living up in the States. Just listen to the title of this article. Quote, Like an addiction, thousands of Americans are falling prey to Mexican cartel timeshare scams. I'll paraphrase this a bit as usual, cut out the boring parts. It says, The first phone call came in December. It was a real estate broker from Mexico offering the gringo on the other end of the phone an exciting opportunity. A buyer wants to buy your timeshare that you have in Cancun, said the Mexican real estate broker in almost perfect English. The buyer wants to pay you $65,000 for the one you bought for only $47,000 six years earlier. Now, Stephen, like many timeshare owners, found there was less and less time for family vacations. He was getting bored of the place. He had originally bought the place to use two weeks a year so his children could spend time with him in Cancun near the ocean. He thought, wow, this telemarketer's call seems fortuitous. Plus, I can make a nice profit on it. But there was one catch. Stephen, then 54 years old, would first have to cover the Mexican federal tax of $3,900 that would be held in escrow and credited back to him when they closed the deal. Looking back, Stephen thought that was the first sign he was getting duped by a telemarketing scam that would end up costing him nearly $1.8 million, all told. By the way, Stephen had been trying for the last couple of years to sell his timeshare with no luck. An all-too-common problem with timeshare owners who eventually get sick of their properties. So he jumped at the chance he was given by this telemarketer who'd called and offered 65000 for the property. Then the article goes on to say, according to U.S. government investigations over the last decade, tens of thousands of Americans, most of them elderly, have fallen prey to complex schemes involving Mexico's violent cartels in property and timeshare deals. 
Then it says timeshare fraud is so lucrative in Mexico that U.S. government officials say the profits now rival the business cartels are most known for, drug trafficking. Are you getting this? They're saying that timeshare fraud is the number two profit center for the cartels. Then it says the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, commonly known as the CJNC, started its timeshare fraud business in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and has largely taken over the Cancun timeshare, the Tulum, Playa del Carmen, and Acapulco market as well. Not only that, they have expanded their fraud network to more than two dozen call centers that regularly contact U.S. timeshare property owners. Yes, real estate and timeshare property companies have given up their owner lists to the cartels. How about that? So the cartels have all the names, phone numbers, emails, and data of U.S. owners of timeshares and other properties throughout all of Mexico. They've also combed through all of the municipal property registries throughout Mexico to find out who all the gringo owners are as well. In other words, you buy a property or timeshare in Mexico, the cartels have your name, number, and all your stats including personal data, credit records, and copies of your passport, since you have to give all that up when registering your property in a municipality in Mexico. The article goes on to say, if you've been to Mexico, you'll know that condos and timeshares are hawked on practically every corner in the tourist areas of Mexico. And people on vacation buy in only to find later they're paying for the time they don't use. Or they simply get bored and get tired of paying the yearly maintenance fee and are looking to sell with many having their properties listed for years on real estate sites with no bites at all. So owners desperate to sell are willing to let down their guard and consider any offer, even offers that send up red flags. In fact, so many desperate gringo property owners have been scammed, says one Brian Rogers, head of consumer advocacy nonprofit called Timeshare Users Group. There's an actual organization which provides information on how to avoid timeshare scams. And if you're a victim, what to do about it? Sadly, Mr. Rogers says, the victims we have in these scams are limitless, reaffirming that it's nearly as much cash in hand as they make from drugs, mostly because the overhead is really low for this kind of operation and only involves paying the salary of the people in the call centers. The cartels, he says, have the system down. Their lawyers create new shell companies weekly, then abandon them, open bank accounts, and close them out as soon as authorities identify them, and then quickly create new ones. And so far, the U.S. Treasury Department has discovered 40 Mexican call center companies associated with the Jalisco Cartel, all located in Mexico out of their jurisdiction, so no one's been arrested. And the key to the operation is having telemarketers who speak almost perfect English. One of the first early cases discovered and rooted out was brought in 2019 by the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of Louisiana. They discovered the call center was in the U.S. They captured and indicted six Mexican men, scamming dozens of American timeshare owners out of $20 million. Since then, the cartels have become smarter and they locate their call centers within the borders of Mexico. Then it says... With what the cartels have learned from their well-oiled drug trafficking operations, they've now turned to defrauding American citizens, turning timeshare fraud into a science. They know exactly how to persuade elderly Americans to send money to Mexican bank accounts. It works like this. The cartel hires call center workers who speak perfect English, teaching them to lure 
unsuspecting Americans into believing they are steps away from freeing themselves from a timeshare they've been trying to get rid of for ages. Turns out there are hundreds of thousands of frustrated American timeshare owners in that predicament. Just look in the classified ads of your own local newspapers and you'll see countless Americans hoping to free themselves from their timeshares. Why? Because they charge ever-increasing yearly maintenance fees to their owners who no longer want to go there or pay. Cartels teach employees how to craft documents with names of companies, brokers, and attorneys that appear totally legitimate. They steal or borrow identities of real lawyers and real estate agents, so if a client does an internet search, they land on a legit website and everything seems fine. And get this, if the victims do catch on while on the phone with the call center personnel, the cartel has another layer prepared to draw them in. A few weeks later, another call center employee will phone up saying their information was found in a police raid of a call center. They'll tell the timeshare owner they have to pay restitution or the title will be blocked for any future sale. The cartel call centers even have people posing as government investigators ready to help get to the bottom of the supposed fraud, whose services, of course, come with their own costs. And the money and the wire transfers flow through Mexican banks, which cannot be counted on to take a stand nor can U.S. government agencies penetrate them. In general, their fraud departments are useless, according to Spencer McMullen, an attorney in Mexican law based in Guadalajara. He says Mexican banks do not care to investigate. There is no pressure nor personnel to do so. As mentioned, the most valued employee in this call center operation is a person who speaks perfect English. And the pay and the compensation is spectacular. However, cartels control their employees at the call centers with an iron fist. Last June 2023, cartel leaders turned their fury on eight English-speaking call center employees who had a change of heart and wanted to quit. The remains were found in 45 plastic bags at the bottom of a canyon outside Guadalajara. Turns out, cartel call center workers worked the phones from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., one of those calls was to Filomino Medina, 73 years old, a retired United Airlines employee who in 2022 was told a buyer would pay 50 grand for the weeks he owned in his timeshare in Cancun. Like the previous case mentioned, Medina was told he first had to pay capital gains tax in Mexico and a federal Mexican tax. They then told him the buyer's check was sent to him by FedEx but was held up at the border and he'd have to pay a fee to have that check released. After weeks of delays, by the time he hired a lawyer to sue for the funds, he had wired a total of 80 grand to Mexican banks, emptying his savings and 401k. In the end, Medina went bankrupt and lost a sports bar he owned in Hayward. It's been reported that cartels have developed many layers to this scam. If you don't bite the first time, they'll come back a second and a third time, many months later. For example, remember the first example of a guy who got scammed? Well, sometimes they'll scam you two and three times if you're gullible enough. Turns out our first victim in this report was again contacted in 2023 by yet another supposed realtor who said someone again wanted to buy his timeshare. The second caller, he said, appeared to be much more professional and legitimate. The seller found himself deep in another scheme, this one more convincing than anything he'd ever seen. Along the way, our gullible gringo Mark wired $240,000 before figuring out he'd been scammed for the second time. He reported the company to the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center. They confirmed the company he was dealing with was fraudulent, but couldn't do a thing about it because it was in Mexico. 
They also admitted they had at least 1,400 complaints against them. Then, some months later, our perpetual Mark received a different kind of a phone call, this one offering relief from the harm he had endured. It was a woman who said she was an attorney, a part of a Mexican law firm that was bringing a class action suit against that Mexican bank who knowingly accepted wire transfers on behalf of fraudulent companies. She said the lawsuit was being reviewed by the Mexican Supreme Court and that our man in question, who'd been duped twice before, was due damages and restitution that would eventually total more than six million bucks, according to the case she was preparing. Our perpetual gringo Mark researched the woman's law firm online. It was legit. The website even had a link to the Attorney General of Mexico and a link to Mexico's Financial Intelligence Unit. It all looked perfectly fine. The catch was he'd have to pay fees to both those government organizations before the court would process his claim, including tens of thousands of dollars in clerk fees, printing fees, docket fees, interpreter fees, court honorariums, a court tax, an exit tax on the settlement, a total of more than a hundred grand directly to government entities. But remember, the payoff was six million bucks. Then, after he paid the fees, things got even more crazy. He was told he'd been flagged for money laundering by Interpol because he had sent many transfers over $10,000. Too many 10K transfers will trigger an investigation. As proof they were serious, the Mexican attorney sent him a copy of his passport with a red flag notice from Interpol attached. The notice said his restitution would be withheld until he paid to be removed from the Interpol list. Of course, he paid it. She told him he was also on the U.S. Interpol list, in addition to the Mexican one, and he must pay tens of thousands to get off that list. So, fearing arrest and officials showing up at his front door, he paid that too. It was only then he thought to call Interpol headquarters in the U.S. to see that he'd been removed, only to find out there was no record of him ever being flagged in the first place. At that point, he hired a U.S. attorney and filed a report with the Internet Crime Complaint Center, detailing every dollar he had transferred to date. Remember, now, the Internet Crime Complaint Center is a U.S. government organization, part of a federal U.S. agency. And guess what? He never received a single response to his complaint. In the end, his particular scam, spanning many years now, had spiraled into multiple complex operations involving 99 wire transfers, more than 150 people, and at least 12 Mexican bank accounts. Turns out, by the end of 2023, he had paid Mexican telemarketing scammers just shy of $1.8 million. All right, me Johnny here. That's how the article ends. Sounds like a bad Hollywood B-movie, doesn't it? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. What an idiot. He deserves to get scammed. But maybe not. Look, the guy was worth at least a couple of million dollars. People don't accumulate that kind of dough over a lifetime if they're fools and idiots. Now, you longtime listeners have heard me say over and over on this show that timeshares are one of the worst investments you could possibly make. They're not really investments at all. Many, many smart, even brilliant people get sucked into them. My mother dodged a bullet only because she asked my advice when she was about to buy a timeshare. And my mother, man, she's got a substantially high IQ. Yet she was seconds away from signing on the bottom line for a timeshare. For me, the really scary part of the story is the fact that the cartels have lists of all the gringos and expats who own land, property, and condos in Mexico. Which again begs the question, how's your plan becoming? Now, I sure hope you're thinking about getting the hell out of Dodge. Just think twice about jumping from the frying pan into the fire by selecting Mexico.
You've been listening to The Expat Files, living in Latin America. If you need some help with your own Plan B, we can schedule a one-on-one phone or Skype consult. Just send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. And if you want to get on the waiting list for my next week-long expat insider seminar in Central America, where you're guaranteed to get a two- to five-year head start on your Plan B, send me an email, theexpatfiles at gmail.com. Nos vemos.